Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers. I am Matt Bazell, and over here I have the real-life Yankee Doodle Dandy. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> it's me, Ethan Knight, Yankee Doodle. Yep, oh, the Yankee Doodlest Dandy that there ever was. podcast we go through afi's top 100 list of american films and uh this episode is number 97 with yankee doodle dandy which was put out in 1942 so ethan do you want to go ahead and give us a summary so yankee doodle dandy is the semi-musical biography of one of america's most popular actors of the early 20th century george m cohan Cohan starts out as the son of two extremely popular traveling vaudevillians performing almost immediately after being born. As he grows older, so does his talent and his ego. He eventually leaves the family act to pursue his dreams of writing his own musicals, but he's repeatedly shot down. But after striking a partnership with Sam Harris somewhat surreptitiously, he becomes a hit. Many of his plays, which he also stars in, are overtly patriotic. After years of success, he tries to write a serious play which flops opening night, but he turns it around using his wit and pluck. Eventually, Cohan retires and travels the world with his actress wife, but comes out of retirement to play a singing and dancing FDR, and then the real FDR invites him to the White House to present him with a congressional gold medal. Which I think is actually described as the Medal of Honor in the the film itself, right? Yeah, I think they call it they they call it the wrong thing. It is the gold medal because he cannot win the Medal of Honor. Right. But yes, that's true. And so you mentioned it's a semi musical, but it's also a semi biographical musical, right? Yeah. A lot of elisions of time and sort of serendipity sprinkled throughout to make this thing seem more dramatic and more plot oriented. Right. Yeah. It's definitely not sort of a straight biography. It's 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 more along the lines of based upon the life of but but it, but it keeps pretty close i mean well sometimes it does and other times they always talk about cohan being a staunch democrat he was actually very against fdr oh really yeah so small things like that yeah. also there's a, a ton of inaccuracies in the movie just well, with the number yeah. of states and the flags and then given times i was perusing the imdb trivia mm-hmm. and found things like that but it did not diminish my enjoyment of the movie once it got rolling in earnest for me in the last episode we sort of ended on a on an uncertain note very uncertain some would say yeah i was sort of dreading watching this film but it was like you said once the momentum sort of got me it was a it was a really fun ride yeah speaking i think exactly of this our pivotal scene for today is actually about 45 minutes into the movie when cohan strikes up this arrangement with Sam Harris, the writer, over them sort of swindling this 
German mogul into producing his play, which is Yankee Doodle Dandy. Let's give it a listen. Now the villain turns to the boy and says, I'll tell the girl who you are unless you help me hold up this train. Think fast, it's due in 10 minutes. You'll have the audience in their seats with excitement. I know, I know. The hero helps him, gets shot in the leg, and the girl nurses him, makes the hands. No, 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 he gets shot in the arm, Mr. Schwab, not the leg. Do you know what happens next? I won't be in the theater to find out. I will be down the street watching a musical comedy. Before I put $10,000 into a show, it must have songs, dances, and a lot of girls. Oh, women, women, little rose petals. Now, the big scene is where the hero saves the girl from a burning forest fire. It won't be terribly expensive, Mr. Schwab. I know where I can get a cheap fire. You don't need much of a fire. Just enough to burn that manuscript. Oh, here you are. I've been looking all over town for you. What? Come on, we've got to go over to Decent Up and sign those papers. Papers? What, what, what papers? What papers? Oh, I see you don't want to talk about it in front of Mr. Schwab. Say, you haven't discussed our musical with Mr. Schwab. Music? Remember what we promised Dietz and Goff. Believe me, I haven't said a word about a musical. That's good, because Dietz said it's the best musical he's ever read. Even allowed Goff to agree with him. When I told him about those 20 ponies and 20 showgirls all coming downstage at once... Oh, ponies and showgirls? Just a minute, young fellow. Would you mind telling me what you're talking uh, about? Wait, uh, wait, uh, I've got a check for this table. Yes, sir. No, 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 that's mine. Oh, no, no, no. Well, we won't argue about it. Better mention, Mr. Schwab. That's mine. Come on, we can't keep Dietz waiting. Right. You are a fine guy. You have girls up your sleeve, you have bunnies and, and showgirls, and you don't tell me about it. What, what's it about? We gave our word to Dietz. Uh, we haven't got time for details. It's about Todd Sloan in London. The famous jockey. Yeah, come on, Papa. Jockey, jockey sounds well. Just my luck to miss out on it. Well, good luck, boys. Oh, uh, you forgot your manuscript. Oh, Say, yeah. uh... Before we sign up with Dietz and Goff, I made some change in the lyric of Yankee Doodle. I want you to hear it. Yankee Doodle? But you shouldn't have done that. It was perfect the way it was. Oh, you're going to like this. Give the number added value. May, Watch I, it. may I listen a little? Well, think we should? I don't know. Huh? If you promise to be quiet. I promise, I promise. All right. What? Is there a piano in the private room? Yankee Doodle. Yankee Doodle. Yankee Doodle Candy. Dandy. Yankee Doodle Candy. Yankee Doodle. Thank you, Candy. Yankee Doodle Candy. Okay, and we're back. Yeah, so this is actually where this movie, I think, grabbed hold of me. And I said, you know, this is funny. There's a lot going on here, and I really like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, for me, it was just a little bit earlier when he he seduces the, uh, the who becomes his final... Well, I guess he doesn't really seduce her, but he has that whole scene where he's in the old age makeup. I think he just about 1942 seduces her pants off. Yeah, in in 1942 terms, her panties are dropping. Um, but she, um, he's he's in old age makeup, and this. She's and this, of, of course, is Mary from the yeah, hit song Mary. Right from the hit song Mary, um, and she becomes his wife. So this is, I guess, they're like meet cute. But she's a big fan, and she wants to go to New York, and thinks that he's actually old. And throughout the scene, he takes his makeup off. The more he flirts with her, the younger he appears to become. And she's shocked and, and horrified. And that's just before this scene. Right. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, I think this is really where the movie starts to come into its own. I want to sort of usurp your original position of themes. And I want to kind of jump out ahead of it and say, there is something about this movie that I think is entirely self-aware and also metatextual. Yes, definitely. In that we've got this German, this wealthy German who is a caricature of, I guess, a wealthy German. But this is in 1942 when the movie's released. 
So they're filming after Pearl Harbor, during Pearl Harbor. World War II is already very much underway. Yeah. Even for America at this point. So this is not accidental that they're making fun of this German here. Right. Well, and I, I mean, this idea of meta, just the idea of being meta, the, the film plays with, right? Because it's, uh, we go back to this idea of semi-musical. It's not a musical in the sense of, the, you know, the sound of music or something like that, where, the, where it's a straight musical and there are musical numbers. The musical numbers we see are representations of the They're musical also staged. We're watching Cohan watch a musical sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that, it's that sort of level. And one of the things that cued me in the first minute or so is that the singing and dancing play about FDR. Right. It says a comedy musical. It like describes the movie itself oh. as you you as you pan in on the movie. Oh, and, and we should mention this right because I didn't in the in the um, summary. The, the FDR play is a frame narrative, right? Yeah. And I really don't think my summary does the the movie justice because it sounds kind of boring in summary, but it's actually it really is not. Well, when I sat down to watch it, it gives you a brief summary, and I read that and said, okay, well, I'm watching it regardless. And it turned yeah. out to be great in that all these these sort of the things we've already mentioned, metatextuality, in addition to some some things I'm not sure what to call with he and Mary living together as husband and wife before they're husband and wife. So they have a non-traditional yeah. relationship, and it's 1942. That struck me as is sort of incredible there. Yeah, that was interesting. There's also Eddie Foy Jr. playing Eddie Foy and alluding to himself later in life. Mm-hmm. And if you remember what I said about Toy Story and that Woody's face, his sheepish grin, yeah. being the most uncanny of the uncanny valley, I think I have to take that back and just give that to Eddie Foy Jr.'s face. Yeah, you're, I I can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny scene, but I think most of it was stolen away by his contorted face. Oh, he's terrifying to look at. He's very uncomfortable. So uh, <laughs> we might put up a comparison in the show notes. Yeah, I think we absolutely need to. Uh, so anyway, Ethan, I sort of usurped your position, but now right. you have the chance to reclaim it. Can we go through some of the themes of this movie? I'd like to start, I guess, with patriotism versus sort of substance or talent, right? In that patriotism can sometimes substitute for talent or, or for actual substance. Yeah, so I think what you're referring to here is sort of Cohan's arc in the film, at least the fictionalized version of him, that he is incapable of doing something serious right. in that, that high-low culture divide that Americans love to have. Yeah. So it's almost like he's printing comic books instead of full-length novels type thing. Right. And, and maybe patriotism is, is a stand-in word for um, sensationalism because it, he not only – I mean his things – most of the, the things he writes at, at the beginning of his career are very patriotic. But they're also sensational and big. I mean, Yankee Doodle Dandy is this huge. It's got ponies and it's got girls and it's it's this it's a spectacular sort of thing. Right. So sensationalism, also spectacle, yeah. is very much playing into the idea that a general audience enjoys spectacle. Right. Which is also metatextual or postmodern in yeah. that it is a movie in which there are girls, ponies, yeah. dancing, singing. The spectacle is is out of this world in this film, especially in 1942 terms. Yeah, so it's kind of incredible that it brings that up as an issue in the movie, but it is also very well aware that it is also still doing those problematic things. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay, so I think that sort of encapsulates uh, that patriotism theme. What else you got for us? Well, egotism and Kohan's sort of arc as an egotistical character is extremely important, right? It's it sort of, in a lot of ways, it, it acts as his fatal flaw. Um, mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe not fatal, but you, you get what I'm saying. His heroic flaw. It can almost be his hubris, right? We get not an ambiguous ending, but something akin to that in that the young young kids, they're college kids, probably 1920, roll up to his farm to get water for the radiator. Right. And they have no idea who he is. Yeah. And and that's something, too, that I, that I want to get into is this idea of fame in and of itself. The nature of fame, the effects of fame, and the sort of fleeting sense of fame, right? How long does it last? And, and I, I mean, this is something we should talk about, right? I didn't know who George M. Cohan was. Neither did I. And, he, and it turns out that he's actually kind of an important dude. It wasn't until they sang Over There, the yeah. song Over There, which I don't know how many people know that song, but it is sort of a World War One rallying cry for Americans to go overseas and yeah. do what Americans do, get into everyone's business and then solve all their problems ostensibly. And once I read that, I said, oh, wow. So I guess I kind of do know who this guy is. Yeah, well, and and these songs, right? Yankee Doodle Dandy. I mean, I knew I knew most of the words to that. Grand Old Flag. Oh, and I mean, I even knew it over there. I was like, did he really write over there? I was like, no way, this isn't real. Uh, but he yeah. did. You were mentioning how the substance of fame, and is it fleeting or is it solid in any way right i'm wondering if this has to do with the ways in which cohan is talented but he brokers lies and deceit to put it strongly mm-hmm. in order to really make his break right into this scene uh he's explo- exploitative the entire way through right he's exploiting his his audience he's exploiting power that he has he's exploiting his family members his landlady all of these things in order to reach towards fame. Yeah, there's that scene where they're at the table at the boarding house where all the sort of washed up performers are. Yeah. And he and the, the Cohan four are there and he overhears them saying that that George is what's holding them back. And that is obviously true. We see a lot of this where he always gets in the way of himself and his right. family, but his family still stands by him regardless. And as it, as it turns out, you know, was the right choice. Right. But like I said, this is making uh, someone's life according to plot, which, as we know, people's lives are not plot. Right. Just a bunch of little conflicts. So he comes in and says he sold his play and gets his family the extra share of food and also a measure of respect. Right. And then, of course, the next couple of days, that's when he lands Yankee Doodle Dandy right. with Sam Harris. Just, you know, just luck would have it that he that he, after he lies about it, he figures it out. Right, so it's all nice and neat, but I think it also points to the fact that he is able to navigate these deceptions with right. his talent. So it's not as if he promises something and never delivers, right. but he promises something and then eventually delivers. And I think that's done in a curious way, but I think it also has a lot of resonance with not only his character, but sort of the ways in which the film is teaching us to view it and also see contemporary america so 1942 yeah uh through the lens of that film well and and i mean it goes back to sort of this this idea or theme of of egotism right and he's he's egotistical and he's talented right he's his egotism is is warranted in some way 
Right. So it's not as if he doesn't have the goods. He can walk the walk after he talks the talk. Yeah, he delivers. Like you said, he delivers. Though it is also to be noted that that's entirely precarious. It is, yes. It's never certain. I, I wanted to sort of talk about artistic drive, but I think we've sort of hit that in sort of reaching for fame. and his. I think the one thing about artistic drive we may not have covered, I had mentioned the titular song of his wife, Mary, right? Right. The scene sets up it being her like most important thing to her, and she wants it to be sung to her by him. And make sure everyone knows that it's about her. Yeah, she makes that clear. And then he goes and sells it to Faye. I don't remember her last name, but Faye, the the famous actress of the time. And he comes back and sort of deceives his wife into a position to where he can say, well, you basically told me to sell her the song. And so we're like, okay, here's George up to his old deception tricks again, trying to, you know, broker this situation. I mean, it's it's ultimately a positive thing, right? They're working with the most famous actress. But at the same time, it's sort of a betrayal on the part of him to yeah. his wife. But then he comes in and he says, ah, oh, eventually finally says, I sold your song to Faye. And she says, mm-hmm, yep. And he's like, I don't think he heard me. I sold your song. And she's like, no, I knew it the moment you came in. And I, I laughed out loud. Yeah, no, part. it was good, right? I mean, because it, 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 he seems, on, on one level, he's a scumbag, right? Throughout the movie. And on the, but we sort of like that. And, and this is what I, I missed one of these things that I wanted to talk about. We need to talk about the American dream and American exceptionalism. Right, I was gonna, but just about to say, aren't we all as Americans a little bit of scumbags? Yeah, I mean, that's totally, I mean, Americans love scumbags that are talented. We look at Steve Jobs, uh, the current political climate with Donald Trump, right? And, of course, all our fiction is rife with these scumbags. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's all over the place. You know, we we love this, right? And I think that's, it's, that's inherent in this idea of American exceptionalism, which is the idea, right, that Americans are in some way inherently better than the rest of the world and, and have a set of qualities that are just, you know, inherent to Americans. Yeah, and if not that strong, also that, you know, Americans are in their own situation. You know, it's sort of the same mentality uh, when this great nation of ours got got rolling in that we were supposed to be isolationists right. and out on our own island, and we would conduct things our way because, of course, we knew best. Yeah, and it's that idea of the, the city on the hill that we become the sort of shining example for everybody else yeah we're the world police according to all the military slogans yeah. i see on tv that's which i'm not going to comment on one way or another but that is there right and so part of this idea i think of being you know an exceptional american is that you you know you have the right to sort of be an asshole uh, you can be a jerk and right because the world's out there waiting for you to take it and you've got the goods so you just need to go up and you know carpe diem right Exactly. We're better. We should just take it. It's ours. Go America. Which is kind of <laughs> the theme of the song over there. Yeah. Like, oh, it's about othering, right? We have to go somewhere else that's not America right. and fix problems, and we won't come back until it's over over there. So it's as if Americans need to go in and sort things out because we've got the goods. Right. And so very much like Cohan, um, he goes and, and sort of fixes plays that he thinks the general public wants to see and he's right you know he's largely right about this he is yeah okay what do you say about us giving our theses about this film i will take the lead because 
I'm an American. <laughs> uh, for me, this movie is a patriotic musical that engages in comedic conflict and metatextuality to convey the life of Cohan in the state of contemporary America. And this also sort of becomes a propaganda film in that way. Yeah. And I and when when I sit down to write these sort of thesis statements for the film, I'm always trying to think of like what what's the moral? What's the lesson that we're trying to say? And I and I had a little bit of trouble th- thinking about it initially. And so this is and so maybe my ideas have shifted, but this is what I have since we've been speaking just now. Uh, but this is what I've got. Only in America can a small town son of an immigrant become the most popular and well-respected actor, director, playwright, and composer. Right. This is also part of the American dream that it's immigrant-based. Yes. He's an Irish-American. The first time we're introduced to his father, he is playing an utterly stereotypical Irish role. Right. Um, we see the family in blackface a couple times. Oh, uh, yeah, the minstrel show. Oh, my God, that was horrifying. I was just like, I can't believe this. But at the same time, the movie acknowledges it because when Cohen sits down and says, oh, how how is the minstrel show going? They say, oh, it's still popular. It's like, well, that's that's sort of the, the rub, isn't it? The more popular you are, the more cascade you are for it. Right. For the minstrel show. So there's already an awareness there. Yeah. And I, that even in 1942, they were like kind of like, winking at the camera here right well and they don't show it for very long that it's like a flash of the minstrel show yeah then then waltzing off stage his minstrel show. yeah although minstrel shows did i mean there was a, a television program in in britain that was still doing min- blackface minstrelsy into the 70s the 90s yeah i think i saw that fact also and yeah. it's so bizarre to us as a modern audience right but you know, it's very real and part of our, our history, though regrettable. Yeah. Well, I don't know that there are any other... Are there any other black people in this in this film? There are. They are FDR servants and oh, have yeah. that, yeah, that yeah, yeah, terribly yeah. racist role in which Cohen sort of brushes them off. Like, they're big fans, but oh, well, you're just a servant. Or, you know, the more sinister version, well, you're just a black servant. Right. Yeah, and they're, it's it's pretty clear what they're. I mean, they're in tuxedos. One doesn't one of them talk. One of the guys talk about how uh, I, he must have been there with previous presidents, and he's talking about going and seeing Cohan. Yes. Previous, but yeah, it was it. It's uncomfortable. Uh huh. The genealogical aspect of servitude, right? Which um, amounts to slavery. Yeah, it's absolutely a sort of a, a hearkening back to. To slaves, right? And this is all very early in the movie. The minstrel show, the Irish stereotype, and then the black servants were all within the first like 25 minutes or 30 minutes. And that self-aware comment about minstrel shows isn't until the back third of the movie. So I think that also hindered my uh, immersion into the film because of it. But I think the movie recovers from it. And again, it's a product of its time. But it is sort of hard to get into once you see that. Especially where the sort of racial and political climate we're at right now which is this is always <laughs> yeah a, a tinderbox right right so yeah i think that that might have also been sort of part of the reason why this movie seems to start off sort of slow but once it gathers momentum once it sweeps race under the carpet <laughs> oh no right well that's the american way right <sighs> it is the american way unfortunately I think this is a great place to get into our three questions. Yeah, I think so. So, Ethan, 
Yankee Doodle Dandy, do we care? Yes. I care. I think we should care about this film. Sell it to me. Because this, who doesn't know Yankee Doodle Boy, the song? Who doesn't know Grand Old Flag? How important was over there? Not only this, Kohan was an extremely important man outside of this film. And I have a couple of facts here. When you say that somewhere is in the middle of podunk nowhere, that comes from comedic acts Kohan would do. Oh, wow. He was from a town called Podunk, Massachusetts, which is now east brookfield it's part of east brookfield i don't know anything really about massachusetts other than this but he would talk about that and and that got picked up by other comedians uh so we owe him podunk we owe him the idea of really the book musical which is um musicals as we sort of know them now right where there's a plot line and then that plot leads you know conversation leads into a song that leads into the next scene right oh it's like a structural structured musical like rent Yes, exactly. So instead of these previous to to the idea of the book musical, you'd have, you know, sort of little acts, and then they would talk a little bit, and then they would sing a little bit, right? And it wasn't some sort of cohesive unit. He was one of the pioneers of this idea of the book musical. He was important. Um, he was an important founding member of the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, uh, which is something that continues to this day and is extremely important. He wrote more than 50 plays and musicals, and there is even IRS legislation that has to do with him and a sort of income. It's, it's numbers and complicated, so we don't have to get into it. But they call it, in shorthand, the Cohan rule. So he was an important man, and, and this biographical, semi-biographical, semi-musical film is important, I think. All right. Well, I think you actually may have convinced me about this because my initial answer is... You know, I care more than I thought I would, but still not over much because this can still be reduced to like an uber patriotic musical that, can't, that is that was obviously tendered as propaganda during World War II. Absolutely. But at the same time, you're right. It does sound like he contributed a lot of things. I do enjoy some of the postmodern elements before postmodernism is really like a stated thing. Right. But then again, our audience knows sort of our background and that we might be prone to some of the more heady things. True. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt, maybe. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so does this movie hold up? Um, I would say, like, minus the uncomfortable racial things, in general, yes. I think it had some of the most beautiful cinematography we've seen so far. There were a lot of these sort of close-ups with with a lot of the women, actually. But they would do these sort of close-ups or these tracking shots. I mean, they, it got to the point where I was like, "This is, I can't believe how beautiful... I rewound a couple of times, too. Because it looks modern. It looks like modern things. Um, and I love anything in black and white as well, which maybe we should mention. This movie is in black and white. <laughs> yeah, there is a colorized version of it. And oh, it is gar- it? It looks garbagey. So I just watched the black and white version and did not even notice it was in black and white because... I think that really speaks to how well I was immersed eventually into the film. Yeah, and and this, I mean, the music is great. It, surprisingly, the music was really great. And I hate yeah. musicals. I hate them, Matt. I really <laughs> don't like musicals. That surprises me, I think. Yeah, no, I don't like them. And maybe this is years of being around theater people that just love musicals. I, In general, I, I don't care for them. But this isn't really a musical, I would argue. Right, it's it's Cohan's own contribution 
to the aspect of this media right. in that it's a structured musical and it's a meta musical in that we are watching musicals that are being watched by the actors of this drama, so to speak. Right. So the musical falls outside of the jurisdiction of the plot in a large way. Yeah, I mean, we're watching James Cagney play George Cohan play a part in a, in a in a musical. Exactly. And I think that's why my answer to Does It Hold Up is a qualified yes in that it's definitely of a different world. So we talked about right. some of the racial implications and but also that it does do this sort of meta fictional sort of move and also yeah. the humor is just sharp. Yeah, I think it is. And and I think the, I mean these are songs that I mean I know all the, I know all the words to Yankee Doodle Boy cuz I listened to them as a kid, I guess. I don't know. Well, I think that's something that might be fading now. Well, probably. But it is yeah, so for, maybe for us it has has more resonance right. than it might have with some younger audiences. True that. I or agree. it could be regional. Maybe it's regional, right? As we mentioned earlier, I <laughs> am not a Yankee in that sense. Yeah. You're, you're you're from the north and I guess people may have been clued in by your particular accent. Yeah, my uh, my very regionless dialect, certainly. Yeah, and I and I am I am absolutely from the south. I'm sure that has shown through more than a few times. And so maybe it's regional because, yeah, like I said, be. I only know over there from my academic studies, right. and I don't know any other those songs. I've heard a Yankee Doodle, and I could probably hum you the tune of Yankee Doodle, but I don't know any of the words. I think the solution is to go to our final question, which is to this movie what do we owe or as a normal person would say it what do we owe this movie well we owe maybe i'm conflating now what we owe cohan and what we owe the film yeah well, we're certainly talking about the film so let's try to divorce cohan yeah. from the film which i think is a, is a big ask yeah uh i'm not i'm this this is a harder question to answer what do we owe this film because and maybe i should know a little bit better about this with having a, a theater background having studied theater but I don't, do we owe it a whole lot? So let me, maybe I'll take the lead on this yeah, one. Yeah, take this. Take it away from me. <laughs> I'm not sure we owe much to this film beside its use as a propaganda film and besides its sort of preservationist value as something postmodern or metatextual. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't think we owe anything to it. Yeah. Because there are there were musicals before this and there were musicals after this. They were biographical films before and after. I don't know that it sets the tone. Yeah, I don't. It was good, though. I liked yeah, it. Be that as, yeah, so I was going to ask you, do you like this film? <laughs> yeah, I really did. Except for a couple of things, you know, race. Um, and sometimes, well, James Cagney does this sort of singing and speaking that I guess was what Cohan actually did. He is, he is specifically imitating yeah. Cohan. And so that that style was a bit visually off. Yeah, it was irritating. I didn't like that. The sort of straight leg tap dancing dancing. Oh, no, some of the tap dancing was 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 great though. But I, yeah, some of it was, but I don't like the weird sort of scarecrow-esque Wizard uh, yeah. of Oz. Yeah, you it's it's definitely a particular style and so if you're not yeah. partial to it. But some of it, I mean, there were I think it's in Yan when they're showing parts of Yankee Doodle uh, he he like does some sort of like not quite a flip on the wall and I was like what and I stopped and watched it again. He's like doing parkour. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of incredible. Tap dancing parkour. Yeah, I saw that too and was like that's all right. I'm I'm with that. Yeah, and even if you don't dig 
that sort of style of, of dance, it's pretty impressive to see James Cagney do some of that stuff because I certainly could not do it. Right, uh, and also one little fun factoid about this. He was 10 years older than his on-screen mother. So the actress that played his mother, he was 10 years older than her. Really? Yeah, so he's not a young, he's not. He's no spring chicken No. when he's doing this film. And so, yeah, I like this film too. And of course, I'm always qualifying it because of those certain things we've talked about. Right. But I do genuinely enjoy this movie. Felt good and uplifted after the film ended. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun ride. And so it's hard to say with only this being the third film in this yeah. top 100 list. But I mean, it definitely seems to hold a spot that it seems like it should hold. Yeah, I, I think it seems to be in a, in a good place. Yeah. And I think this might be the first film that we've both enjoyed and sort of thought that it fits where it does. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, we're only three, three films in, but still. Yeah, so with that, I think that'll be the end of our episode. We will be back in two weeks with a film called Blade Runner, which Blade Runner. I have not actually seen, but I'm looking forward to it immensely. Ah, you're in for a treat. So let's give our audience a treat by having them listen to some of our spoiler audio. And as always, there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers! There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at Becca the Knight with a K. Or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off-week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud and review us, please. Thanks for listening. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page nude photo of a girl. Is this testing whether I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mr. Deckard? Just answer the questions, please. You show it to your husband. He likes it so much, he hangs it on your bedroom wall. I wouldn't let him. Why not? I should be in for him. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. I watched sea beams. Glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. Painful living fear, isn't it? <laughs> Nothing is worse than having an itch you can never scratch. Oh, I agree. Wake up. Time to die. <laughs>